The Triathlon Hour is brought to you by Pillar Performance. Magnus Ditlev just won Challenge Roth in one of the all-time performances, and something he's added to his daily routine in 2023 is taking Pillar Performance's triple magnesium 45 minutes before bed every single night. I've seen Magnus's Whoop data personally before and after using Pillar, and it's honestly completely changed his recovery for the better. So seriously, if you're training for triathlon, you need to try Pillar's triple magnesium at least once, and you'll see for yourself why everyone is starting to use it. Use the discount code HTT20 for 20% off your order when you do decide to grab some. Gentle, it's great to have you on for an episode of Road to the PTO US Open. You're by far the most successful PTO athlete in the world with two wins and one second place from your three race starts at PTO events and you've been ranked number one in the world since the start of 2023. So it's a real treat we get to hear from you and hear you talk about both your own race at the US Open but maybe also help us break down the US Open as a whole. So how's your personal lead-in been going, Ash? Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Um, and yeah, it's been going pretty good. I guess um, we had a yeah a PTO race in May, which was a bit unusual. So everyone, I guess, kind of was able to come together for that big one. But we've all had a bit of a break, I guess, um, from the PTO races until a yeah pretty massive August. So I feel like I've been building pretty well, and yeah, definitely. Now that I'm in America, I'm yeah getting excited, that's for sure. So you obviously had a really good race at the the European Open earlier in the year, which was, I think, the biggest PTO race we've ever seen. You, you were on the, the receiving end of a pretty special day from Aaron Hag, but still managed to finish second and I thought had a really good race for, for you, like a very complete race. How did you feel about the European Open? Yeah, like Anna was just amazing um she had an absolutely incredible day so yeah it was yeah pretty cool to be part of that and just um yeah she had an awesome day and and flew past me and yeah I just simply could not match it and you know I was really happy with my second place I wasn't like for me it felt like I gave a hundred percent of what I could give on that day so I was happy. I was so satisfied with that. And I wasn't feeling like 100% my best. So I, yeah, I was absolutely ecstatic with second. Um, And I don't think that it was anyone beating Anna that day anyway. And I just don't think it was 100% of my potential. So I was really motivated and excited by that as well, because I feel like I still have a lot more to give. And obviously it was in May. So I knew there was heaps more opportunity in the year. So yeah, it's helped me, yeah, helped with the motivation definitely and um, really, yeah, excited that we have two more opportunities at these PTO races this year. So that's my question. And I was saying this in the lead up to the European Open that I thought it was a little like a weird place in the season for you personally and you'd just gone to Europe. And for anyone who's ever done an Australia to Europe or an Australia to America, America trip, it's so hard early in the season to race off that trip like you're just tired and not yourself and it it does take you a little bit to to sort of find your find your form when you do that trip and so I was actually thinking like oh I don't think where this this European Open sits suits Ash at all even though I do probably consider yourself and Taylor Nib the two best athletes at that distance in the world and then the performance you had while I was watching it I was like genuinely shocked at how well you were doing you put yourself in probably the best position you have in a swim and then you, you rode amazingly well to put yourself in a position to win. And I, I was sort of at about 60K into the bike. I was like, oh, well, Ash has just won this. So uh, my question with, with all that being said is with, your, with you in that form at that part of the year, knowing that historically you've really started to perform in July, August, September and had your best results at that time of the year, do you feel like you're in better form now than you were going into the PTO European Open? 
Yeah, I'm definitely in better shape now than I was back in May. Um, and and you're right, like it is tough to go from Australia to Europe. Um, we're in a tight turnaround. Like last year, I did that and went to the championship, and you know, I went in race week, and yeah, it was pretty horrific. So I did go two weeks out um, before Ibiza to to Spain, um, and yeah, I did a race there before I did Ibiza. So I gave myself definitely enough time. But um, yeah, I think that you kind of have to because I knew that Ibiza was really important. There was a a stacked start list and yeah, I wanted to be as ready as I could. um, That's for sure. But I definitely think that, yeah, I, I, I tend to build momentum through the year. So I was also a little bit shocked with my result um, in Ibiza. Like I knew I was in good shape, but yeah, I was definitely happy with second. Like I actually was, it probably was my worst swim in in the PTO races. I definitely swam a lot better in Edmonton and Dallas last year, but I also think I had a bit more gas for the start of the bike. So I think that that actually helped. Like I was able to ride really well at the start of the bike, which then, you know, helped me catch that group um, pretty quickly and yeah, felt quite strong, um, which helped, I guess, set up the run. I I didn't really feel like I had the spring in my step that I did have last year, but you know, that's obviously something that, that comes with race fitness and um, just fitness in general. So yeah, I definitely hope I've stepped it up a notch since then. So let's talk about the US Open now. It's a really fascinating race, this this women's race. I think I think it might be the most excited I've been about a start field that, that a US Open, uh, that a PTO Open race has had. And I think the reason why is because Lucy Charles Barclay isn't there and, and there's a couple of other strong swimmers missing that I think really open up the race. Like we've obviously got Taylor Nib there who came second at the US Open to you last year, um, having a bit of a, a meltdown in the in the run in the heat and, and you ran, I think, almost 10 minutes faster than her in the end to, to beat her by a minute. How do you see this field? And I guess in particular, how do you see this US Open field in, in relation to your own race and, and how it might affect your race? Yeah, um, that is an interesting one without Lucy Charles Barclay being there. she's She usually is, so you kind of just always assume that um, she's going to be first out of the water. But, yeah, and obviously Taylor Nib probably last year would have been on her feet and profited from a draft um, from Lucy. But, you know, Taylor in her own right is an absolutely incredible swimmer. So I have no doubt that Taylor will be first out of the water. Um, And I guess then it's a question of if there's a couple of other swimmers that can go with her because I know that a lot of them will see Taylor's feet as a ticket to the front of the race. So, it will be interesting. I'm sure Taylor probably will just go out as quickly as she can and and try and establish a gap. So I think it's going to be pretty exciting because you know you can sit here all day and try and and try and predict it, but um, you know it, it is quite difficult because different people bring you know different skill sets and you know can change the race dynamic pretty quickly. So yeah, it, it will be definitely an exciting race. If you're in in the race, right, and Taylor Nib does come out of the water off the front and does what she did at the US Open last year, which is ride sort of six minutes faster than you, or does what she did at the 70.3 Worlds last year, which is ride seven, eight minutes faster than everyone. <laughs> yeah. How, what, what's going through your head in that moment? Do you, are you, when you're out on course, are you aware of um, the gap that Taylor has? Are you thinking about it? Are you does it affect your mentality out on the race course or how you're going about your race in that moment? Yeah. So I guess um, just as you would always presume Lucy's going to be first out of the water, it's probably safe to say that Taylor's going to be onto one of the, the fastest bike splits. So um, I'm I'm not going to be shocked. Um, that's for sure. I think that Dallas last year was really interesting because obviously that was a very hot race and the there was Taylor and Lucy came out together and they were kind of off and away and then there was quite a big group of us girls that came out um I remember like Holly Lawrence Flora Duffy Fenella myself um quite quite a few others Paula Finlay and 
you know, I'm not sure at what point of the bike, but that definitely split. I was at the back and I saw a massive line of girls in front of me and I just, I was like, I I need to be closer to the front, but there was no gaps. So I'm like, if I want to get to the front, I'm going to have to pass about 10 people and that kind of effort would absolutely destroy me, especially in that heat after a hot swim. So at some stage I was at the back in a pretty horrible position and it kind of it kind of broke and there was a the group um like a Paula, Holly, Flora and a few others actually kind of got away and I was kind of more focused on them to be honest because I think they ended up coming off the bike about 45 seconds in front of me and I didn't even really consider Taylor or Lucy to be honest I couldn't see them I got no splits I literally had no idea how far I was behind Taylor so I kind of just tried to stay motivated by the fact that I was only 45 seconds behind that group of girls together just in front of me. So yeah, it was pretty insane that I actually was able to catch her because I think I must've got a split when I got off the bike and it was like, yeah, that's a very, very big gap. Then fast forward to the European Open based off that, Ash, I felt you rode differently because Hearing you say that is really interesting because it's exactly what I was watching play out and how I was looking at it. Like it looked like you got stuck at the US Open and almost like you got stuck in that tough position where you're in that massive group with like Lisa Norden and Paula Finlay off the front and, and Holly was there as well and you got stuck a little bit further down and then when the, the split sort of went, you were just like in no man's land a little bit and I, I wondered watching it whether your plan was just like, okay, well, Lucy and Taylor are off the front my my best action here is just to sit in, conserve my legs and, and run through the field or, or, you know, try to do that. But then at the European Open, based on that, I'm like, I think we'll probably see Ash do that again, like sit in with the pack and, and back herself in a running race. But that's not how you raced at all, I didn't feel. I felt like you you rode really assertively and almost it almost looked like you had the mindset of like, I'm going to push a bit harder on the bike. I'm going to make sure I'm in a better position coming coming off off the bike into T2 for the run. Is that true? Yeah, well, Dallas was an interesting one. Like I didn't want to be in the position I was in in Dallas because, yeah, I guess once that split happened, I was kind of at the front a lot. Um, and then I think Fenella was with me as well. But, yeah, like you said, Lisa, Holly, Flora, Paula, and maybe a few others were – you know, were able to kind of work together legally, of course, like in front of me. So it was like, I wasn't really thinking about the run at all. It was like, I need to get through this bike. I am hot. My my head felt like swollen. I was trying to like put water <laughs> everywhere I could. Like it was just so uncomfortable. And to be honest, I think it was a smart decision just to ride my own pace and not be too phased because it was so easy to overcook it in Dallas. And if you really went too far over your red line you would would most likely pay for it even more so on the run so I think um yeah in the Euro European Open I think it was more of a case of I was not happy with my swim I was kind of like behind the group that I would have liked to have come out with so you know for the first I don't know like I think you know maybe 12k it was to the first turnaround I just put my head down and rode as like fast as I could within reason. Um, and I didn't even look back. I was like, I need to get myself back in this game. I can see this group just in front of me, um, which I started closing down pretty quickly, you know, and then I looked behind me and I saw someone like Paula Finlay and I was, you know, she's not bad company to be in on the bike. So yeah, once I, yeah, turned around, I kind of tried to keep pushing, I remember Paula must have come around me at some point and, yeah, we were able to bridge that gap to the the group that came out of the water in front of us, which I would have liked to have been out of the water with, but sometimes you can plan these races, um, but it doesn't turn out that way. So you have to adjust and you have to go um, change the game plan. And that was for me that I had to ride hard to put myself back in a position to, yeah, um, have a have a decent result. So for the European Open, you're right. You you basically rode, I think, like the exact same time as Paula. She she might have been like 15 or 20 seconds ahead of you. But Canadian Open and, and US Open, like you talked about, she was sort of like 90 seconds, three minutes in front of you on the bike. Yeah. What what have you learned from that? Is 
Is your best tactic to conserve your legs a little bit better at the, at the US Open here, sort of like you did at, at Canada and, and the US Open last year? Or is your best plan of attack to, to be a little bit more aggressive and ride a little bit harder and, and come into T2 potentially, you know, 60 seconds ahead of where you might, but, but with slightly, slightly more tired legs? Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one because, like, even if, you know, it seemed like I would have been conserving certain races last year, it's not how it felt. I felt like I was just going as best as I could. Um, and, you know, that might have meant um, a group got away, like in Dallas, or, you know, I was just trying to ride as hard as I could in Edmonton. But Paula was out in front. Um, and yeah, she would have let off the bike by about two minutes. But I was in that group behind and most definitely at the front of that group the whole way. So I think I feel like I w- had to actually work quite hard on the bike there. But, you know, Paula is a, um, you know, a, a great cyclist and had a really good ride that day as well. But, yeah, it's it's interesting because I think that, like I said, you kind of just have to see how you swim and you kind of got to change your race plan. And I don't feel like I've I'm afraid to work on the bike because sometimes it's just what you have to do, especially um, in these PTO races. It's non-drafting. It's 20 meters. We've got race ranger now. So it's great. Um, I don't, I I think I run quite well um, off a hard bike and it's even better if everyone else's legs um, <laughs> are hurting too. So, you know, I I also think that, from last year, my bike has improved pretty much every race that I've done. So I think that it's something which I can still learn and get better at. And I'm kind of doing that each race. So I'd love to be able to build that momentum and get stronger and stronger on the bike um, each, I guess, experience that I have. Really good point you make there. Really interesting point about you running well off hard bikes because um, – I think you're the best runner in the world if the bike's hard. And I think now there's like a at this US Open, like there's some really good runners in the field. Like there's Chelsea Sodaro and and there's Tamara Jewett and there's yourself. Obviously no Arn Hug, which is nice. <laughs> I think I think if the bike is easy and you're in a group with Chelsea and Tamara, that's when they're a threat to you. But I think if the bike is hard and the swim and bike are hard, like if Chelsea and Tamara potentially have to come out of the water 20, 30 seconds behind you and everyone has to ride hard all day. I don't see anyone in the world outrunning you. But if the if the race is a little bit easier, you know, everyone gets stuck in groups and, and, and stuck in groups on that tight sort of looped course and it's not that hard, then I think you let those guys in, 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 the, in the door. Is that how you view it or would you just back yourself to outrun them no matter what happens? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I would back myself um, 100% of the time, that's for sure. But I also think that, um, you know, obviously someone like Chelsea, she's Ironman world champion. So she threw down like an incredible marathon after 180K on the bike. So, you know, these people can run off extremely hard bikes as well. But I think it's more of like a mental thing for me in the sense that in my short course career, um, more often than not, I got on the bike. I might not have been the strongest cyclist even in the group, but I had a mentality of like, okay, I'm X amount of time behind the leaders. Like I need to get myself back in the race. And sometimes that meant literally time trying at the front of a group for 40K. That might have meant, you know, trying to ally with, get allies with a few people and just roll turns with a whole group of people behind me knowing that they might outrun me, but it was about putting myself in the game. Um, and so sometimes tactically it might've seemed a bit stupid in short course, but a lot of the time it's what I had to do to try and, you know, bring back, uh, put myself back in the game. So I think it's just more of a, the fact that now I'm into middle distance, I still have that same mentality, but it's way better because, it's non-drafting. No one's allowed to draft. And it's even better if there's race ranger because everyone has to work. So I think for me, I'm not phased if I get, you know, obviously I don't want to get isolated. I don't want to have a bad swim, but if I do, I think that I've got the capacity to be able to keep my head in the game and try and turn it around if I'm in a rough spot. It might not always work out, but I think that I've got the the tools to try and 
um, salvage a race, no matter what happens in the swim or the start of the bike. I, I used to think you were so, like absolute must watch viewing in WTCS races. I used to, I literally used to love watching you race just because you would come out of the water behind in almost every race. You, you sort of were in a period where you, you couldn't get your swim exactly right. And you had some good <laughs> swims, but, but largely you were battling with, with finding the right position in the water. And then you would just bury yourself for the next hour in a sprint distance race or you know the better part of 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 the next two hours in an olympic distance race and you would always be smashed when you finished them and the amount of times you ran yourself up into the podium or top five and just your face was covered in saliva and you were just cooked it was i thought it was absolutely must watch viewing so to hear you talk about how that has transferred to to this distance is fascinating because you do race the same, but you just find yourself in way better positions now. And I think all those years battling away with that swim level being so strong at the time it was in, in the WTCS, I feel like that that period has really set you up to be the world's best um, PTO distance athlete in the world. It's like it's like this is what what that, those years were sort of setting you up for in a way. Yeah, I think. Um yeah, I I have like such great memories of my short course career and I think that, yeah, there was some really consistent times and, and times where I've had, I also had some really great races where it came together. But yeah, there was also some, which I'd rather forget, of course, but, you know, all of those experiences I think have to count for something. It's like, yeah, I'm, I've got a clean slate. I'm starting something completely new. But that doesn't mean I'm going to forget all the things that I've learned um, since I raced Junior Worlds when I was 16 years old. Like every little experience that I've I've had, um, I'm really starting to embrace and I feel like I've been able to reflect and, yeah, really learn from those experiences and, you know, try and put them into practice. And, yeah, I, I think that um, – yeah, psychologically, I'm doing a lot better with a lot of anxiety I had around um, certain aspects of racing and the swim as well. I think that I've, you know, it's taken a long time, but I'm at definitely a better place um, mentally before each race too, which helps immensely. If you aren't wearing form smart goggles when you swim, then you need to be. They are, in my opinion, by far the most underrated piece of triathlon training equipment that exists. None of us would ever run or ride without our GPS watch or device, but so many people swim without it. And it's probably indicative as to why it seems so much harder to improve in the water for everyone, because we all obsess and spend lots of time and effort, energy, money into making our bike and run better. But our swim becomes almost an afterthought or something that we just like get up and slug through or finish work and slug through rather than are excited about improving. So I just think you should stop making that mistake and get yourself some form smart goggles and finally start swimming with purpose and using like the live pace and timing data to make that easier. If you want to get some, then use the discount code HTT15 when you buy them for 15% off. It also gets you a free 12-month premium membership to form. Back to the US Open, um, we've, you've talked about Paula Finlay a lot and, and obviously Taylor Nib is going to be a factor in this race. The really interesting part of this race is that they've both come off preparations for their their respective national time trial championships. So Paula won the Canadian national time trial championships. Taylor came fourth in hers. Do you think that because of that, they're more likely to have good performances at the US Open? Or do you think that because of the preparation for that, maybe it's going to hurt their overall performances? Uh that's definitely hard to say. They're obviously riding well, so that's something that we know. Um, but to be honest, I would expect good rides from both of those ladies, whether they were at those time trials or not. Um, I think it's just you know a strength that they both have, and it's a very obvious strength. So I think that it's not something shocking to me. So yeah, either way, I, I think that um, I'm – I have no idea what type of specific training either of them did for those time trials. It could have been, you know, very, very specific and, you know, not as swum and run as much, or it could have been like hardly any difference. So I wouldn't even have any clue of what their training looks like, but yeah, it's, it's no surprise that they both did very well in those events. 
And what about yourself? Where has your focus been in the in the build up to this race? Obviously, you're coached by David Tilbury Davis. How have you guys been um, like specifically training for the US Open? Yeah, so I don't know. I guess um, since say yeah the European Open, I guess I've yeah I've been abroad. So I've been um, in Andorra uh, originally for a couple of months, just easy to to live in Europe. Um, rather than going to and, to and from Australia, of course. So I guess um, generally my program is, you know, pretty, you know, get a good time, uh, a lot of time swimming and cycling um, and, of course, just keep the run ticking along. Um, you know, there's periods where I'm kind of only doing one run session a week because, you know, it's nice to be able to have an extra energy to keep the swim and the bike Um especially the cycling, you know, you know, I've obviously been cycling for a very long time, but, um, yeah, 80, 90 K on a time trial bike is, is pretty different. So it's been fun to definitely try and build the strength, um, for that. And then, yeah, kind of gearing up for a big August, I've doing, a you know, two hard run sessions a week now. So I f- kind of feel like my runs definitely coming up to a, um, a better level for sure. Um, and that's a super nice feeling. So yeah, it's, it's coming, it's coming together and I guess, um, yeah, kind of aiming to peak at Milwaukee and Singapore. So feel like, yeah, things have been ramping up, um, for the last month for sure. With your training, Ash, um, I know it can be sort of hard to, to talk in generalities like this, but are you a, a more high volume person or would you say that your your training is more sort of grounded in quality over quantity? Um probably based on a few like I don't you know know too many different programs um and what they exactly do to like I guess compare of what what kind of where do I fit but I'd probably say um I've generally been yeah not never super high volume um, that's for sure. Kind of, yeah, a good mix of aerobic work with, you know, some really good high intensity as well. Um, yeah, definitely for the run, I'd, yeah, I'm not high volume, but I definitely feel like, um, yeah, once I lay a good base and I feel like I get momentum going throughout the season, I start to add in a few good sessions and, the swim and the bike really help my overall fitness for the run, I feel. So then I can really kind of ramp that up um, into big races. Yeah, dial that intensity up on the run, which helps kind of take my running um, always hope to, to a better level before big races. People always sort of talk about you as being uh, a PTO distance specialist. Like for some reason that distance just seems to suit you and and, you know, I've heard a lot of commentary on different um, podcasts and, and by different commentators that the 70.3 distance doesn't suit you as much. <laughs> is, that, is that true? Do you, do you hear that as well? And, and if so, what do you think about that? Um, I, yeah, I don't really hear it. Maybe I've heard, I, yeah, I heard a, a couple comments, but yeah, like to be honest, especially like I mentioned to you in season, um, I avoid listening or reading too much triathlon media for that purpose because um, don't want to get me fired up in the wrong way, that's for sure. So <laughs> I'll keep that for the race course. Um, but no, I, you know, it's not that much difference. Like it's only 10K extra on the bike and a few K extra running. I think that um, I guess people might say that just by virtue of I've, I've done really well at these PTO races but it's also because the PTO races in my calendar the last couple of years have been the biggest races that I've planned so they are my A races so um, of course I'm probably going to do better at them Um, well that's always the plan because every race that I turn up to of course I'm not turning up to races as training races as such but of of course you can't have every race as an A race Um, you know, some people can seemingly peak at so many different races and be on form, but I know for me personally, it's not very possible. Um, I have, you know, a couple of times a year where I know that I can be in super top form and yeah, it just so happened to be that 
um, yeah, last year and then this year, those are the races that I've chose to to try and be my best at. So I think that's probably also contributes to that as well. Great point, actually. And something that I think that's, that is interesting that often commentary can be based off like a results page. Like you can go and look yeah. at like a, a PTO <laughs> yeah. results page and be like, oh, like, well. did you ask me how <laughs> I felt, how hard I went or how much I'd trained before the race? Like yeah. everything has context for sure. Yeah, exactly. I right. sort of the first time I thought about this that a lot of commentary literally gets based off like going to a PTO page and looking at past results, doesn't it? And like what you came in those races, but yeah. it's just not really how the sport works. It's like, yeah, you made me think there. Um, with that being said, are you going to the 70.3 worlds this year? Yeah, that's a, a tough one. I have to make a decision really soon, um, which I, I'll, I'll definitely do that um, because if I don't go, I of course wanted to make sure someone else can have my spot. Um, I did qualify for sure, but um, I've committed to both Milwaukee and Singapore. So, yeah, I've got to chat to my coach because like exactly like I just said, I know I've got a, a few moments a year that um, I, I really want to be in top shape and I look at the Singapore travel to Finland and it is and the t- turnaround. I think it's a six days. Um, Singapore will be hotter and more humid than Dallas. I've raced there before and I am well aware of what the weather's like there. So it's a really, really tough turnaround. Um, yeah, and obviously as an Australian, I'm nearly home fr- from Singapore. It's it's a big commitment. So I I will make a decision on that. But I also, when I first started working to, with David, actually, we kind of talked about goals and um you know, obviously PTO has been on my radar the last couple of years, really wanted to to peak for those races. And I, but I also looked at something like Taupo um, in New Zealand in 2024. And um, I actually qualified for that race in, in 2019. And then of course we all know what happened after that um, with COVID. So yeah, four years later, Taupo finally gets their world championships and that's one for sure that I will be um, focusing on, but still to decide on Finland. And I don't want to like do that commentary curse thing and, and say, you know, like, oh, you're, you're going to have a good result at the PTO US Open. But in a way, I feel like if you were to say, and I, I, I'm sorry if this is, is a bit of a curse, but if you were to win the US Open and then were to win Singapore, I would assume there's very, very little chance of you going onto the 70.3 World Championships. Is that right? Well, I think that, yeah, I'll make a decision before that anyway. Um, so whether I, whether I do that or do nothing like that, I think that, yeah, it probably it wouldn't affect my decision that I'll, I'll already have to make. Um, but, yeah, in an ideal world, it would it would be absolutely amazing if I can, you know, race Milwaukee in Singapore the, the way that I would love to but yeah it's hard it's it's definitely yeah the schedule this year with with that turnaround is pretty tough but I've I'm 100% committed to Milwaukee and Singapore so yeah would love to um, be at my best for both of those. And now obviously with the PTO coming out last year and, and again this year but to a little bit of a lesser extent, making a big deal about the prize purses and, and how big the prize purses are, a bit of a personal question for you, Ash. Triathlon historically has been a sport where it's been really hard to get rich as one of the world's best athletes but then we know it's like part of the, the thing with, with the PTO last year is people know, okay, now Ash Gentle made a lot of money last year, you know, had, had those two amazing wins and, and finished the year on top, of, on top of the PTO rankings. How does that affect your life? How does that amount of money as a professional triathlete, which when you started really like there was no way you could make that from a race, how, how has that changed your life over the last 12 months? Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty surreal. Um, especially considering like at the start of last year, um, I, apart from the bubble in in Tokyo, um, I hadn't traveled like as normal since 2019, just in Australia. And, um, you know, I, I saw that the PTO had these, these races, these big races against the best in the world. And, um, I, it's, 
still blows my mind that I was actually able to do what I did. I had no idea how I'd do in middle distance and and definitely the prize purse was just kind of like an added bonus because I remember I'll have to try and find it um, and look back at it because I remember making a list just to remind myself that, you know, I'm, I was kind of embarking on this new journey, I guess, and just like don't worry about like trying to get new sponsors, don't stress about it, don't worry about um, prize money or this or that. Just I remember just writing down like invest in yourself and and do the best you can and it, it really paid off because in financially, yeah, of course, I won two of the biggest prize purses that you know the PTO had on offer, and it was and it was huge. And I think that helps me, um, obviously, reinvest in myself in the fact that um, I have the ability to be able to live overseas for you know this year four and a half months because um, I need to be overseas to be able to like race these races without being permanently jet lagged and um it means that yeah I can reinvest myself into triathlon which I think is um yeah pretty amazing because yeah I I've never won that that bigger prize purse in my life and yeah it was pretty crazy that um yeah I was able to do it and uh yeah it's just still a bit surreal to be honest. So with that did you go when you went when you run those races and 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 you get the big prize checks and something that's never happened in your career. Do you have a bit of a moment like you and your partner Josh, obviously both lifelong triathletes? Do you have a bit of a moment where you go, "Hey, let's go celebrate this and let's like splurge on stuff," or <laughs> are you sort of straight to like living your life as normal and like just like you said, just reinvesting it in yourself and your performance? Yeah, like I guess it gives you some level of security, a hundred percent. But no, like we didn't do anything wild. We we did get married at the end of last year and went on a like a super nice honeymoon in in Tahiti, which was which was super nice because it's you know a lot of the time like you know we still of course like I'm to be a, a it's probably damp or everything like you still have to pay the Australian tax office. You have to <laughs> we've got a we've got a house and expenses and obviously all the things that come with like yeah living a life overseas and and getting to these races so um it's nice to be able to spend money on something that's not you know uh accommodation or food or car hire or you know um flights to races so that's definitely like a nice thing to do and something that sometimes Josh and I don't always do too much of when you get kind of caught up um yeah racing and and living a life overseas it looks um, sometimes like, oh, that would be amazing. But, of course, it's it's also our job. Like we're here. We're not here for a holiday. We're here to train really hard. So um, it was super nice last year to be able to enjoy like a super nice wedding with our family and friends and be able to also spend some really quality time overseas with each other when we weren't um, doing triathlon. We could actually just enjoy it. So that was super special. And so now you're in Boulder in, in Colorado, so you're spending a little bit of time in the United States at altitude before you go down to the race. Between now and the race, so the, the race is in just a bit over, it's a bit under three weeks, a bit over two weeks, depending on which way you look at it. What now, between now and the race, what do you do? How do you prepare both physically and mentally? What, what do you have to af- avoid so that the race doesn't sort of like um, fall apart in the last two weeks from like mistakes or from from men, like wasting mental energy and and getting anxious and that kind of thing like how do you how do you nail the next two weeks going into the race yeah so I feel like it's a really nice period of time that I'm here so I was in um, Europe for you know that that two weeks before Ibiza and then about two months in Andorra and then coming out here I guess um, I flew in on a Tuesday night. So the next day I was like, okay, it's Wednesday. And I knew that from three weeks that day, my fl- I have a flight to Milwaukee. So mentally it's a really great time in the sense that, okay, I've got three weeks of work and just do your best each day. Like really, really dumb it down. I know it sounds like not exciting, but it just is like wake up every morning. Um, yeah look at the sessions and don't be overwhelmed by it. I think that I was kind of crippled by a lot of anxiety um, for parts of my career. 
And I think that I was really afraid of failing for a lot of the time. Um, and I don't want to get too deep, but I guess that um, now I feel like I've I've found, yeah, a different way of approaching it and a different like headspace and, and learned from a lot of mistakes like that where just like each session is like, yeah, that might look really tough. And, you know, these last three weeks, they're not easy. There's still definitely a lot of intensity to get myself um, up to that, you know, high level before before the races. But it's just, you know, do the best you can. And it's a really great vibe out here in Boulder. Um, I had three weeks here before Dallas last year. So that's literally why I'm here. I enjoyed it so much. And feel like I really responded well to the the altitude here before Dallas so just doing what I've done last year so it's nothing new um so yeah taking each day as it comes I know you said you don't want to get too deep there but I can't not ask follow-ups on that because I think it's such a prevalent part of the sport both at a professional level but you know obviously triathlon being such an age group dominated sport I think it's really prevalent at age group level too which is pre-race anxiety completely destroying people's races yeah and and so really interesting to hear you who you've been one of the best in the world since you were like yeah a teenager like you were a great athlete as a teenager you were one of the best WTCS athletes at the time for your whole career and then you've stepped up and you've you've gone to to be um you've become the best sort of PTO distance and 70.3 distance athlete in the world and you still struggle with pre-race anxiety and you still have to work on that. Can, can you explain that? Like, can you, can you talk to me about how it used to derail your races? Like what was actually happening and, and how you were struggling with that and then what you did to overcome that and, and what your like strategies are now? Yeah, I guess um, I probably went through a, different, uh, a lot of different phases through my short course career. I think that um, there was definitely times like later on in my career where um, I think it's also very much to do with like your environment and and how happy you are. And um, I know that everyone's really different. Some athletes can be in stressful environments, but still flourish. But for me, um, I I know what is kind of right and wrong for me now. In a sense that um, definitely when I'm not super happy or comfortable or enjoying kind of training or the life around it, it affects me quite a lot physically. Like my training could be, you know, look nice on training peaks and everything seems to be going well, but mentally if I'm not in a good space, it's pretty, pretty unbelievable how much it can affect me physically. So I think it's about, um, yeah, finding an environment that you're happy with. And also, you know, for me, it's definitely, I, re- I reflect back when I was a junior athlete and, you know, nothing really seemed to phase me. I just enjoyed training. I did my best. I went to the races and, and, and did the same thing. I just did what I'd been doing in training. And there's definitely times in my career where I've just totally overthought everything. I was, you know, at some points afraid to do certain sessions because I was just afraid if I failed, like what if I, am so far off the time or so far off this, but it's like, how do you know if you don't try and you have to try if you want to get better and then you'll eventually be able to do it. So it's just about showing up each day, I guess, and not letting that fear of failure completely overtake your life and your thought process because you can spiral pretty quickly from that. And once you have the courage to take that leap of like, not caring in a sense you obviously care deeply about your training but you don't care so much about the immediate result of your training it's quite liberating um so for me I'm at a a very nice point in my career where I feel like I'm at a really healthy balance where I'm literally just trying to do my best each day and that real simple mantra is helping me a lot and yeah I've definitely been training the best I have um in my career so I think I'll just keep trying to do what I've been doing so sort of wrapping up here a little bit but when you're going to be standing on the start line of the PTO US Open in in just a bit over two weeks time are you nervous are you are you do you still battle with like pre-race anxiety and that fear of failure like will you be starting if we're watching you right 
and you're standing on that start line, are we watching a version of you that's a bit anxious and a bit like afraid of what might happen in, in, in a negative sense? Or are you sort of now with that new like do your best, um, you know, embrace the challenge mindset, are you sort of standing there thinking like what a great opportunity, like I'm going to race hard, I'm going to see what happens? Yeah, I, I feel like I've definitely shed the anxiety. Um, of course, races are important to me. I'm still going to feel some butterflies, but I feel so good when I get on the start line now. And it's not a place I'd ever think that I would be at. And it's a really nice place. So I think that, yeah, it's just about trying to keep that um, mindset and training to kind of help reiterate it every day. And yeah, definitely. What you've seen definitely in the last couple of years has been, I think, a, a new version of myself or just a, the same version of myself, but um, I've started to bring it back out again. And it's nice to have that feeling because the fire is definitely in the belly and definitely feels good to have that because then you can really push your body and your mind to its limits when you're kind of in that um, good headspace. So last question for me, Ash, and, and then I'll let you go. <laughs> and I'm going to put a few, a few sort of, um, I'm going to put a few things out there. Like I think this this PTO US, US Open field suits you more than any other field that, that has happened so far. I think, it, like it's you and Taylor who are the two clear favorite favorites, obviously. But if there's ever a field that suits you, it's this field. Um, like with no Lucy there, Taylor having to do all the work by herself coming off the the training for the Nationals time trial, that that sort of swim pack that you'll be in there, you know, Paula Finlay will probably be there for you to work with. I, <laughs> I just feel like I just feel like this race is tailor-made for you. So you're uh, totally jinxing me, right? Intended. Like that's what you're doing right now? This is why <laughs> I don't listen to triathlon media, but this is why. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, sorry about that. If you, if you get a flat tyre or crash or something, it's 100% my fault. Um, yep. But. Given that, that that I do think this race suits you so much, the only way I see you not winning this race is if Taylor Nib gets away and gets a massive lead. You know, uh, I'm not going to put a time on it. That's what I'm going to ask you. Is there a t- is there a time gap that you get to Taylor that you're afraid of, or do you just not even care? Like if ta- if you get a, a split that Taylor's six minutes ahead off the bike, or four minutes ahead off the bike, or two minutes ahead off their bo- the bike. Does that change the way you race or the way you think about the race? Like, are you confident you can run down any gap or yeah, is there a time off the bike that you would love to, to keep Taylor within? Um, yeah, I guess I haven't really thought about it in that much depth, to be honest. I guess that's something that I would maybe try and think about more before the race, but I don't think it would change too much of my tactics anyway. Um, you know, it, it's probably a, a boring answer, but like I can't control how, how what happens to her or how, how well or not well she races. And the same with the race dynamics for every other woman. Like I feel like so many different, it could actually play out, I think, in a, quite a few different ways. And um, it's just about your positioning. And, you know, for me last year, I had no idea of the gap when I was in the bike. I was just trying to survive in that heat towards the end to be completely honest so it's just about you know putting your head down and believing that it's possible even if you get a gap and it is huge you still have to have some sort of belief because then you know what's the point um I'll still run as fast as I can whether it's you know x amount of time or y amount of time I don't think it'll really change anything that I do personally for me as a fan, like someone sitting back watching, it, it is a boring answer, but it's it's also the difference between why you're one of the world's best athletes and, and, and like you don't want to speculate. You're just matter of fact. You you have a job. You're going to do that job. Like it's 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 why you're good. If you were sitting here worried about the, the gap Taylor had, it's probably actually a bad sign. So boring answer, but actually <laughs> gives me a lot of confidence in you having a good race, I think. Yeah, well, it is what it is. Like it's – I think that's the exciting thing about – racing and that's the exciting thing about sport because someone like you could have your opinion on and on how it's going to turn out someone different could have a completely different way of you know thinking it was going to play out you might be cheering for someone and someone else another and I guess you don't know until you watch and that's why people watch sports so 
um, I hope that it's entertaining and I hope that the women all put on a really great show for everyone. Yeah, exactly. I love that point because that's right. That's and that's why I've loved these you, these PTO races. I feel like there has been a lot of speculation and hype and like chat about what might happen and what. And I, I always get to the the this like when when the, the gun's about to go off and I'm really excited to watch the races. So yeah, I, I think in the, at the UA, at the European Open, I felt like the men's race was going to be more exciting and I was a little less excited about the women's race. Whereas now at the US Open, I think I'm a little more like it's sort of swapped and I think I'm a little bit more excited about the women's race as opposed to the men's race. So um, can't wait. I know you're going to be playing a massive role in it. So um, absolute honor and, and pleasure to have you on before it, Ash, and, and giving us your time to talk about it because, yeah, you're going to feature. And now now watching it, I'm going to be thinking about a lot of this stuff you've said and it, it's sort of added a lot of value to me and I'm sure everyone listening for when we do actually get to watch the race. So thanks for giving us all your time. Really appreciate it. Good luck. I hope I didn't jinx you. I feel really bad if something happens and, and and that kind of thing. But no, I've got full confidence in you, as does the rest of the world. So good luck. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Precision Fuel and Hydration are by far the best training and race day nutritional product that I've ever used. I, I think I've almost tried them all. And once I found Precision, I used it for a while and I was still trialing other products while I was using it and nothing compared for me. So I found myself like as I was trying other stuff, always taking like a PF90 gel, which is my favorite gel from Precision along with me because like I'm like, I'm probably not going to like that as much as that. So it's good to have it there. And seriously, like that, that PF90 gel and, and even the PF30 gels and the PF30 caffeine gels, they were just so much better than every other gel I tried. And they didn't make me sick or nauseous. They tasted great. They have great texture. Whereas that was a big thing. Almost every other gel I hate, like I hated either the texture the taste or they made me feel sick um and and so i don't i just never wanted that like i always felt like that was how it was supposed to be like that was just a byproduct of using training or racing nutritional products but yeah then i found precision i was like oh this is this is not doing any of those things this is it tastes great it's the texture's great and it doesn't make me sick and so that's when I reached out to them because I'm like, I, I need to start telling people about this and I really hope they support the podcast and and they did. Um, I think another thing I like about them that I haven't really talked about much is that they're easy to use. So I was constantly getting like sticky fingers and my like jersey pockets were constantly getting sticky from gels um, like leaking and and the, the bit that you tear off not being that easy to use. But you don't have that problem with like precision's pf90 um, gel it's like a twist top and it's so easy to use and stays clean and, and sticky free so i really like that about it um, they also have electrolyte tablets with different levels of electrolytes based on how much you sweat and and what you sweat so that's great for tailoring tailoring like your hydration plan as well there's just like so many things i was loving about precision fuel and hydration and yeah i, I like honestly um, I don't think I'll ever train or race without any other product, whether they were, were supporting the podcast or not. It wouldn't matter. I'm going to keep using them for as long as I'm training and racing, I think. So if you want to try them for yourself, which if you haven't and, and you do train and race and use other stuff, I think you should. And I think once you do, you'll thank me and agree with what I'm saying. Um, and, and when you do, make sure you use the discount code HTT23 for 15% off your order every single time you buy stuff from the Precision Fuel and Hydration website. <laughs>